Welcome to episode 103 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Anthony. He used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Anthony, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Have you ever given an ultimatum? What did you do when it wasn't honored? How do you deal with unacceptable behavior from your loved ones? Today we're going to talk about boundaries. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of boundaries. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. I hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Maria. How are you today, Maria? I'm doing pretty well. How about you, Spencer? Um, yeah, doing well. It's, uh, it's been a pretty good week, too. Cool. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Boundaries. Following a short break, we'll talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. I'm going to start with a reading. This is from the Daily Reader, Hope for Today, January 14th. One of the most valuable skills I've learned in Al-Anon is to discern acceptable behavior and to set limits with others. Setting boundaries helps me to take care of myself in relationships and keeps me from being a victim. Responses to boundaries help me evaluate the quality of my relationships. Nevertheless, I still feel some trepidation when I set limits. I fear that the other person may become angry and end the relationship. I experience different forms of abandonment during my alcoholic upbringing, and it's not a feeling I relish re-experiencing. Sometimes, dread prevents me from setting limits. Other times, I state my boundaries in overly rigid terms, hoping I'll never have to deal with the problem again. My best success comes when I set my limits one day at a time. For example, my spouse watches television late at night and often unintentionally wakes me when he comes to bed. Depending on how my day went, sometimes this bothers me and sometimes it doesn't. I no longer set a global black and white boundary with my spouse. Instead of saying, from now on, when you watch television after 11 p.m., I'm going to sleep in the guest room, I ask him, are you going to watch any more of that show? If he responds affirmatively, I tell him I'm going to sleep in the guest room and bid him a pleasant evening. In this way, I care for myself, and I don't set myself up for resentment. I leave options for both of us, which makes our relationship run more smoothly. So, as I said, my name is Spencer, and uh, let's get into the discussion. Actually, uh, maybe start by asking if uh, that reading brought up uh, anything for you. Uh, well, it did, although this isn't actually about boundaries. Um, I'm, I'm the one who's guilty of, of going to sleep too late and waking up my spouse. Oh. So uh, it kind of brought up that for me. I but see. anyway, but back to the actual topic. Yeah, there are different ways to set boundaries, and I can definitely relate to the, um, the idea of setting them too rigidly and wanting to, like, never deal with the issue again and hoping that if I'm just forceful enough, it'll just go away forever, um, the issue that is. Yeah, and, um, and does it? No, <laughs> no, it usually comes back to bite me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there are, there are many different ways of setting boundaries, and that isn't always most effective for me. Mm-hmm. Last week, we read an email from a listener who asked some questions uh, of of our listeners and, our, and, and, and us, I guess. And they were, do you ha- any of you out there have any personal experiences setting ultimatums with your addicts that were not respected, acknowledged, or met with insult? 
How have you handled the negativity from your addict and the anxiety and heartbreak of not knowing if the relationship will ever be restored? What has it looked like for you to practice loving detachment with an intimate partner through a separation or divorce? And what is the next right thing to do once a boundary has been communicated? And I thought, well, maybe it's time to talk about boundaries again. Mm-hmm. Um, we we actually had a couple of earlier shows around the topic of boundaries. The, our very first episode was, uh, our, as we called it, our first pilot was a, a twenty minute discussion of uh, boundaries before we really knew what we how we were going to do the show. We were just sort of trying it out. And then episode forty four was titled something like "Setting Boundaries Without Controlling." And uh, so we, we've we've had it before, but it's always a good topic. And you know, I I can't answer all of um, our listeners' questions from my own experience. And I imagine that that um, you know you don't have necessarily all that experience either. So I'd really like to ask um, our, our our listeners to uh, you know to chime in with your experience around these questions uh, by email or by voicemail uh, because uh, they really they really are good questions and important questions. But let's talk about boundaries. So, um, what what's your current understanding of what a boundary is? Okay, so I guess for me, a boundary is um, it's basically first I have to identify something I need. Usually, this is identified by the in in a process. Usually, there's a process. Something goes horribly wrong, <laughs> and then I realize, okay, I'm not getting what I need here. That's what's wrong. And then I realize, okay, I need this thing. I'm not getting it. How can I try to get what I need? And then, and then the idea of boundaries kind of kicks in and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe I'm not getting it because, you know, I, uh, you know, something else is happening and it's not working for me and I need to set some boundaries. Okay. So basically it would be something like, there's something non-negotiable that I need. And when I don't get that, or when I get the opposite of that, I need to respond in such and such a way, mm-hmm. in a way that makes makes it clear that I will get what I need one way or another, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. What What about for you, Spencer? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's been a tricky sort of a thing. Like, what's the difference between a boundary and an ultimatum and... What what is this word limit and how does that relate it? But um, it's it's really easy for me to think about setting quote boundaries on somebody else's behavior mm-hmm. and and back in back in the old days that would be um, you better not do this again yeah without maybe without setting consequences um, and and without any way to inf- without any way to enforce it you know don't do this again. Uh, and if I do, then what? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so one of the things for me that is really important in setting a boundary, particularly setting a boundary around somebody else's behavior is figuring out what I'm going to do if the boundary is crossed. Yeah. Uh, because if I, if I don't have a good idea what I'm going to do, then it's sort of useless and maybe worse than useless mm-hmm. because it's setting, setting an expectation that's bound to be um, not met yeah, uh, or met negatively. However, that whatever that yeah. I'm thinking of a word, what is the word? It means an expectation is met negatively, but anyway, um, not met. <laughs> oh, there's gotta be a better word. English, I don't know. English language has 600,000 <laughs> words. There's gotta be a better word. Anyway, 
uh, off topic, you know, and, and this would be true, like, with kids. Like, hey, you better do your homework. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do my homework, then what? Uh, let me think about that for a minute. Um, then what? Uh, you know, I'll take away your PlayStation or, I mean, so that's, you know, what does that got to, well, I mean, maybe that's what distracting them from doing their homework, but if they're just, and I guess that's another thing that the consequence sort of needs to be related to the boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, a more effective one, and I, I've used this example before, has to do with, had to do with my, when my kids were in high school with them getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, that for a while, I felt it was my responsibility to make sure they got up. And I kept trying to sort of, you know, set better boundaries on that and, and, and having, having difficulty with it. And what finally, I think, well, first, when they, when they got to their senior year, I was like, I'm not waking you up anymore. Okay. And that's one of those absolute boundaries. Okay. I'm not going to wake you up anymore. Yeah. And that was a boundary on my behavior that was attempting to influence their behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course I, I wasn't able to keep that a hundred percent because I would get concerned that they're going to be late for school. Oh my God. Um, and, but what happened finally was, um, after several months of me mostly not waking them up in the morning, my son came to me and said, Hey, can you help me get up in the morning? Because I'm getting too many detentions for being late. So he was feeling the consequence and he was motivated to do something. And then I could set a reasonable sort of boundary expectation on this, which is, okay, you tell me what time you want me to come if you're not up and wake you up. And I will do that once per day. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so that sort of, I was able to answer his request to help him wake up, even though I felt it really was his responsibility to get up in the morning. He asked for help. So I was able to, you know, grant that request for help, but I was also able to uh, sort of keep myself emotionally healthy in that I was still not taking ownership of him getting up. If I had said, okay, I'll, I'll make sure you're up. Mm-hmm then I would be taking ownership and that's not healthy for me and it's not healthy for him. But by saying, I will come and, you know, wake you once at whatever time you select, which is like 715 or something, which gave him 10 minutes to get to school. <laughs> right. Seems reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was sleeping in his clothes already. I don't know. Um, I really was, I mean, there was a boundary. I said, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, like going to enforce any, you got to sleep in pajamas or whatever thing, you know, you do it, you do that, how you do that. And, and so that was, that felt for me like sort of a healthy boundary around my connection with his behavior. And I think the boundaries that I've been most successful in setting have been boundaries on what sort of on what I do, um, that certain behaviors that, that I do are not acceptable to me. Um, but if I need to set a boundary on somebody else's behavior, I really have to be clear about consequences. Uh, And I need to be willing to give those consequences. Yeah. And that's always the hard part because enforcing, you know, coming up with the consequences is unpleasant for the person setting the boundary. It's unpleasant for the person on the receiving end of the boundary. And so coming up with what is something that I will actually do that I'm, you know, really willing to face doing mm-hmm. is can be tricky. I mean, I think this whole boundary thing is really, it's just really 
a hard, a hard uh, thing to learn. Yeah. Um. I mean, I was when we were, I was getting ready for for this podcast, and I went back and listened to uh, some of the previous podcasts that we had done on boundaries. I listened to a bit of the first one and that uh, the episode forty four. I listened to some of that, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. But it's like. So, you know, part of me is like, geez, what else can I say about the topic that hasn't already been said? I don't know. Um, but I mean, you know, there's always my own experience, strength and hope, yep. I guess. Yep. And, and you might say it differently than I might say differently. what we said last time. And that might, somebody might hear that better than they heard the other one. Or, um, as, uh, one of, one of our, uh, email, uh, one of the people who sent us an email last week said, uh, I, that she, We'll go back and listen to the old episodes, but if I was to put up a, you know, best of episode, which is, mm-hmm. obvious, it's a previous episode, just played again, right? Yeah. Um, she'd be more likely to listen to it because it would be right there. It'd be new. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. You know, like, like she said, watching a, a movie that happens to come on the, the TV at a time when she's watching rather than having to go to Netflix or whatever. Right. Right. And I think because this is such a really hard topic, like really, it could stand to be revisited, you know, mm-hmm. once oh, a year ish sure. or, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. at least, you know, yeah. I mean, I know I have trouble with it all the time. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so actually, I wanted to, uh, the, the, the reminder or whatever, um, thought for the day from this reading that I did, uh, says boundaries don't help me when they're too loose or too rigid. If I set them flexibly, one instance at a time, they can help improve my relationships. And I'm looking at this question, it says, how does a boundary differ from an ultimatum? And I mm-hmm. think that's one of the differences, that a boundary can can be set in a flexible way, or we can we can flex it, whereas an ultimatum is kind of like, never, ever. Yeah, yeah. And I tend to think of ultimatums as being about really big deal things, like, if you don't stop drinking, I will leave you, that sort of thing. Um, and, and that's like really, really large and really overwhelming. And, um, for me, I had to start small with boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I first came into the program and I first heard people talking about boundaries, I kind of thought that was code for just stick around. Eventually they're going to tell you, you have to get a divorce. That's what that means. <laughs> that's what that word boundary means. Really? That's re- so, you know, I was really leery of this word cause I just wasn't ready for that. Cause it was yeah. just too much, too overwhelming. Um, but then once I kind of got a better idea that it didn't have to be all or nothing, that it could be small things I could set boundaries on, um, I was able to practice and with with things that, you know, weren't as big a deal and it was much less threatening, um, much less scary. Um, so some of my early boundaries were things like um, if you – well, I guess some of my early boundaries were things where I had been enabling and kind of stopping that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, one thing was I decided if a bill comes in the mail and it's got your name on it and not mine, I'm not going to open it and pay it and deal with it. That's your thing. It's got your name on it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to involve myself in that. And, you know, and that was, it was kind of hard to do that because I would, you know, the bills would come in and I'd watch them and they would sit there unopened for days and weeks. And I would worry about that the bills were, were never going to get paid and they would get a, they were going to turn off all of our utilities and, um, and we did get a lot of threatening letters that threatened as such, mm-hmm. uh, because they weren't getting paid. And, but, it was one of those things where I was getting in the way of 
someone else's consequences. Mm -hmm. And so getting out of the way and letting those letters come in the mail that says, if you don't pay this by tomorrow, we're turning off this and that. You know, the notice on the door, it says, if you don't pay the water bill by tomorrow, we will turn it off. You know, and those were the kind of things that actually motivated my loved one to get it together and take care of those responsibilities. You know, when I just went in there and did it, nothing happened. But anyway, so, so for me, maintaining the boundary was, was, I'm not going to do this thing for you. You have to do it yourself. And, and when you get the notice on the door about turning the water off, how does that feel? And how do you work through that? Well, I mean, it's scary and, you know, but it's like, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of the opposite of everything I did before Al-Anon. Um, you know, before the program, I would kind of take care of everything to make sure it didn't all go to hell. And it, in a weird way, I was felt like I was learning the opposite. Like, no, I need to let it go to hell because then, you know, people whose actual responsibility it is to fix things will notice and start to take care of mm-hmm. things, maybe. Um and, uh, so yeah, it was, it was scary because I tend to see everything in an all or nothing sort of light. And so it wasn't when I see, see the thing about, oh, the water's going to get turned off tomorrow. I don't think of it as just the water getting turned off. It's like, oh, first the water gets turned off and then they'll turn off the lights and then we won't be able to buy food and then they'll take the house and then we'll be living under a bridge. And, you know, and it just goes downhill really quick and it spirals out of control in my mind. So for me, you know, keeping the focus on what's actually happening, what's really happening in front of me, um, really helped. And it was like, okay, so if they turn the water off, actually, you know, I could go to the gym and take a shower. I could, you know, I have other options available to me. I don't actually need the water. I could live without it for a couple of days if I needed to. Or, you know, just realizing that Mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm, options mm -hmm. and... And it'll be okay, even if this boundary has to be seen through to the bitter end. Like, it will be okay. Wow. I will be okay in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that was kind of what, what made it successful was that I did stick with it. Cause, cause that's, you know, another hard part of it is it's so tempting along the way to just be like, Ooh, I'm getting nervous. This is making me anxious. I would rather just deal with it myself. I'd rather just open that letter and just pay the bill. Cause I, uh, you know, um, but having the discipline to just kind of keep my mouth shut, keep my hands off the letters, you know, just not not touch it because it's not mine. And just really having that self-discipline to hold to my boundary um, was what made it work. Yeah. And I guess that's that's the key thing, right? It, yeah. It, it made it work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you set a boundary, but then you don't hold to it, well, it's not really a boundary anymore. It's right. It's just an empty threat, like, right. oh, I'm going to leave you. Oh, well, but uh, well, this hasn't happened, and I'm not ready to do that, so never yeah. mind. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. And one of the things that, that I heard you saying, and I think this bears repeating because it's so important, is that you were able to think about maybe ahead of time, or at least at the time, you know, sort of the consequences of your consequences. Yes, yes. Without awfulizing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you needed some program help to do that. I don't know. but mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. There were some phone calls. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there were. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there were. Oh, yeah. my God. They're going to turn off the water tomorrow. And I, I, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I said I wouldn't do it. And, and you know. Right, right. <laughs> uh, help me stick to my boundary, please. Yeah. Or something, right? Yeah. 
which again, that's another tool that, that we have and that, um, you know, we have to remember is available to us mm-hmm. when, when I'm freaking out about something, I can call somebody. Mm-hmm. I can call my sponsor. I can call another program friend or I can go to a meeting. Yeah. At least, you know, where, where we live, there's lots of meetings. And so that's, a, that's an available option. Yeah. Uh, but we don't have to do it alone. I think that's, that's kind of really key. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, I was reading, uh, reading a book, uh, sort of essays on the 12 steps and, and I got to step 12 and, and one of the essays was really emphasizing that the way these programs work is we don't have to do it alone. Mm-hmm. We could not do this thing by ourselves, but we can do it with the help of other people and our higher power. And if we can't find a higher power, at least we have the other people still. I'm trying to think about, about boundaries that I set um, and consequences. And I'm thinking about, I'm sort of thinking on my kids because I think I've talked a lot about my relationship with my alcoholic, but, and, and we're actually sitting in the room that was my son's room when, when he lived here. And there's a, a box um, against the wall with a pile of clothes in it that were his. And they're just here. And so I'm kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do with these? But I think back to, um, they learned to do their own laundry at a fairly early age. I think this probably at least partly came from living in an alcoholic household uh, where maybe the person that you might expect to do these things was not doing them um, because maybe that person wasn't even really capable of doing it for themselves. But what it meant was that as they, as they came into their teen years and um, the decoration of choice for the floor in the room was clothing, <laughs> Uh, I didn't have to, I did not have to stress about the fact that they had dirty clothes all over the floor and about maybe the fact that they didn't have clean clothes to wear to school. I mean, I just, I said, I'm not doing your laundry. We're not doing your laundry. You're responsible for your own laundry. Um, and it worked. And the consequence was maybe sometimes they were kind of dirty, uh, but it never got that bad. It never got that bad. And, and occasionally we would like do a household laundry bankruptcy and fill up, fill up all these containers with dirty clothes and drive to the laundromat and fill up five, four X washers or whatever and, and wash everything at once, including like their bedding, which again, you know, nobody like got diseases from not, not the fact that they, they rarely washed their sheets and blankets. Okay. And maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be proud of that, but I feel that for me, that was a victory of, of not trying to take control of, and, and actually I think our cleaning lady probably changed their sheets. So that was, um, that was a small thing, but she did not do their laundry. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and it, and it just, it, it, it was an easy boundary to some extent, um, because the consequences were mostly not on me, mm-hmm. um, except when I tried to walk into their room. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, it's like six inches deep in dirty clothes. What? Uh. <laughs> um, and they might still be living like that. And I don't have to worry about it now because they're not in my house uh, yeah. at all. Yeah. So, you know, the, the consequence of that boundary was occasionally an, an occasional laundry bankruptcy. Um, I was thinking about the reading and... I know that they're thinking about 
how I don't do that when um, my wife's the one who tends to stay up late mostly and, and, and come to bed in the middle of the night. And, and, uh, and I mean, my boundary is I don't bug her about it, right? Like it's her thing. And um, if she needs to get up in the morning, that's her thing. And, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to run her life. Um, but the way I dealt with it when, if she would come in, be coming in and waking me up is I would put in earplugs before I went to sleep. If I was, didn't want to be woke up in the middle of the night by her coming to bed, I'd, I'd put in the earplugs and I can sleep with earplugs. It's not a problem. So, but it's kind of similar. Like I decide what I'm going to do if her behavior is going to affect me negatively. Um, sort of similar there. I'm trying to think like, what do I set boundaries on these days? Um, I set boundaries at work. Um, and they're mostly about not picking up other people's responsibilities mm-hmm. and they're more on me, but to some, sometimes I have to say to somebody, look, that's not my thing. This is not my job. Um, you should go talk to this other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's, that's a boundary on what I will do, but it's also a boundary that I'm setting on what I'll let other people ask of me. And it may not be like explicitly stated up front, but I, I feel like, um, there was a, there was a time when I'm in the office in Ann Arbor and we have an office in New York city, which is where, um, sort of the, the more executive people are in the marketing and, and sales. If, if I can call them that, which we're a nonprofit. So I don't know if we actually do marketing and sales, but Actually, one of the, one of the office, one of the, the, the departments is now called marketing and communications. So I guess we've actually adopted at least that word. And, uh, used to be there was, there were a couple people there. Whenever they had a problem of some sort that seemed technical in nature, they would call me directly. And me being a good codependent, I would immediately drop what I was doing and try to figure out their problem for them. And so, hey, that reinforced their behavior. Mm-hmm. I was enabling them and they were calling me because. I got it done for them at the expense of maybe what I was supposed to be working on and maybe at the expense of actually doing it right rather than expediently. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. And then I got to a point where it really was interfering with the work I was doing. It was not directly related to the work I was doing anymore or any, any number of those things. And, and, and I had to set a boundary and I don't think that I said to myself, I'm setting a boundary in those words. But what I said was anytime this person calls, I'm going to tell them to, you know, submit a request through the, through the, the tracking system. Uh, and somebody will do it according to the priorities that we've set for the work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while of me saying, I, I can't handle that right now. Could you please file a, you know, file request in our tracking system. Uh, and, but eventually they stopped calling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had to hold, and it was a fairly simple consequence. It was just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to deal with your request right now. You know, put it in the, put it in the system and we'll get to it or talk to my boss if it's really urgent and, and he can prioritize it. Yeah. Um, but my, my set of tasks for today does not include answering your question. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm not saying, you know, well, I'm saying go away and don't bother me. But 
<laughs> Please go away. <laughs> Have a uh, lovely day. <laughs> Don't I'm, I'm sort of saying, yeah. you, you know, you're asking the wrong person. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know I used to do this for you in the past, and, and this is not, you know, this is not something that I do anymore. And, you know, like I say, eventually, and, and for certain people, it took longer than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's pretty good now. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, that was a boundary. Woot! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and what do we do when our boundaries are not respected? And, and, you know, for me dealing with an active alcoholic back, back a few years ago, um, it was very likely that any boundaries I set would not be respected. And so I really needed to. So, I mean, it, one of the things that we've been talking about is, is thinking about the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the appropriate consequences? So a boundary that I set pretty early, actually, uh, while my, my wife was still drinking was, I'm not going to go buy wine for you. And this is where we get to the part of the reading that talks about flexibility. Mm-hmm. Because I came to find that I'm not going to buy wine for you is a good basic boundary, but that there are, there were situations in which being rigid about that caused more problems than going out and buying her a bottle of wine would have, would have done. Um, and the, the one time that, that I really, I did it in this sort of passive aggressive way too, by just sort of, um, not, not driving into town, uh, when I knew she was going to be out, uh, that she had drunk all the wine and she was going to want more. And, and, and I just kind of controlled the situation. So we never made it to the store mm-hmm. and we were in a state where, you know, not like Michigan where you can buy wine until like two in the morning at any grocery store that's open till two in the morning. Uh, you know, we were in a state where you could only buy wine at certain stores and they, at least in where we were, where we were staying pretty limited hours, you know, they might close at like seven in the evening, um, or maybe six or five, I don't know. And they weren't open on Sunday and all kinds of, you know, fun stuff for an alcoholic. Um, and you know, she started having physical reaction to not having her drug in her system. So I ended up in the middle of the night finding a, finding a store where I could buy like some, uh, wine cooler mm. drinks, which, you know, are not wine and not her preferred drink. And she was not real happy, but like she drank some anyway because she needed to. And so the consequence for me of trying to hold that boundary was a lot worse than the consequence of kind of relaxing it and, and enabling her to get some wine would have been. Uh, and, and so, you know, the lesson I got from that was that there are times when, um, I need to, I need to make the boundary appropriate to the situation. I think I remember driving all around Abilene, Texas, looking for some wine at night too. <laughs> Same kind of thing. Okay. We need, you need this stuff. You are not in a state to go get it. You don't know where the store is. You're already halfway, you know, it's one thing at home where it was like two blocks to the store. If she needed to go get something and, and I really didn't want her driving, but, I was not going to do it. And this is, again, this is one of those things that have I had to think about. Like, if she's, you know, two bottles in and wants another one and we don't have one in the house, what am I going to do? Am I going to go get it so that she's not driving drunk? Um, or am I going to say, no, I'm not going to go get it. If you want some, you have to go get it yourself and know that she's going to drive. 
while intoxicated to the store. Um, and maybe she needs that consequence, but there's always the fear that that consequence involves somebody else, yeah. um, you know, getting injured or, or worse. Um, and, uh, so it wasn't always an easy boundary to keep, but I think I, I, I think I was pretty good about keeping it at home. Um, and, it, but, but having to face that there would be, there could be, you know, or she could get stopped and then we'd be out thousands of dollars and, you know, legal fees and whatever and, and fines and all that fun stuff that you get with a DOI, which luckily she never got one. Uh, you know, God looks out for fools and drunks or something. I don't know, but not all the time. Um, yeah. How about you? How did you, how do you deal with boundaries? Not how, how have you dealt with boundaries not being respected and particularly maybe not being respected by a loved one? Um, well, that was kind of what boundaries were for me in the beginning. I mean, it was, um, you know, dealing with active alcoholism and just, just beginning to learn what boundaries are and just beginning to try them out and sample them out. It was like, it was such a new concept for both of us, I think, for me to be setting boundaries and for my loved one to be receiving on the receiving end of boundaries, that there was a lot of like, oh, well, you can't be serious. I'm going to just, you know, plow right through this and mm -hmm. see what happens like over and over mm -hmm. and over again, which was kind of great practice for me in learning how to set boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. learning how to set and keep and maintain and yep, still maintaining. Yep. Yes. Again, still got to maintain that boundary. Um, and so there was a lot of, a lot of consequences because it kept getting, you know, pushed past. Um, like I remember, you know, one of my early boundaries was, um, well, and, and like going from learning about not being able to control another person to a boundary that doesn't actually involve that. Like, you know, so initially my boundary was don't swear at me. That's not really a boundary. That's just me trying to tell somebody else what to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, eventually I kind of got this a little bit more boundary-like, and it became more like, if you swear at me, I'm going to leave the room. And that was something, that was a boundary that I could keep regardless of, you know, yeah. what, what you know, this person did or did not do. It didn't matter what their behavior was. The boundary could still hold. Yeah. Um, so all it really affected was me and what was I going to do. And, and I had to make sure, because there were times when I had set boundaries that I wasn't really ready to enforce or, you know, to actually go through with the consequences of. But then there were times when it was like, okay, well, if I'm not going to do that, I need a consequence that I'm really going to do. So maybe the consequence mm -hmm. needs to be less because it's going to happen over and over and over again because right. that boundary's not going to be respected. So. And, and if I could interrupt briefly here. Yeah. So. I heard you, the, the consequence that you set on that was, I'm going to leave the room, which basically takes you away from the behavior that you're not tolerating. Right, right. Because so you know it's like the I behavior's going to like happen. Be, that behavior can happen in a room by itself, but I don't have to be there to tolerate it. Right. So, yeah, so it worked because the consequence was related to the behavior. Um, and I, I'm not sure, I can't remember if... If it was that I was going to leave the room or I was going to leave the house, it may be kind of varied. And maybe there were times when I had said I was going to leave the house, but I didn't actually feel like leaving the house. So I just left the room instead. But, but you know, that's one of those things yeah. about boundaries being flexible and you can kind of change them and, and do what works. Um, but, but that was, yeah. So that was sort of one of my early experiences. And in a way, I kind of feel like, um, since, you know, my, my alcoholic did 
find sobriety after maybe a year or so of me being in the program. And um, in a way, I feel like my boundary muscles have gotten weak. Oh. It's like they've <laughs> atrophied because I haven't had to use them like all day, every day. You know, uh-huh. it was great practice in how to keep boundaries because there were so many things that I had to keep doing and having that discipline to to hold my boundaries to. And now that there's less unacceptable behavior in my life, now when I do have to set a boundary, it feels harder and it feels overwhelming. And I kind of feel like I'm starting at the beginning again, almost mm. just because I'm out of practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, now um, you had mentioned boundaries at work. So, so I am currently struggling with a boundary that I'm trying to set at work um, that I have not yet set, but I'm about to. Uh, basically I have a lot of, um, I, I'm going to need to be out of the office for some medical stuff, but I don't really want to talk about it at work. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to tell everybody at work what it's about because, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of personal and I just don't want to talk about it. And, um, so it's, uh, it's kind of overwhelming, like thinking about setting that boundary because, you know, I have a lot of practice setting boundaries with loved ones. Um, and, and because they're loved ones, it's sort of like, well, you know, they might not like you, but, or they might not like this boundary, but they still love you. So they're not going anywhere. But, you know, at work, it's kind of scarier because it's like, that's, that's my job. If I, you know, if this goes horribly wrong, I could get fired somehow or, you know, I don't think I really will, but, um, but just the, what's at stake is kind of, is, Different. Is different and in some ways really important. I can't really afford to lose my job. Um, you know, so, so setting a boundary there is, is more, well, and it's something I haven't done before. Right. So, mm-hmm. and it's something that other people don't usually do. Usually when people are out, they mention why. Um, so it's, it feels really uncomfortable and I've been doing a lot of examining my motives for, you know, why do I want to set this boundary? Well, um, why I need to be out is involves a lot of personal stuff that I just don't want to share with work. Is that, and why is that? Is it because they're going to be judging me? Is it because they're going to be talking to me about personal stuff that's really none of their business and they're going to be weighing in on, you know, the choices I'm making and, um, you know, or is it because it involves a lot of like stuff that's really emotionally raw for me and I don't want to put that out there and have to be that vulnerable at work? Um, so, so anyways, looking at, looking at my motives for wanting to set this boundary in the first place, looking at the motives for like, you know, part of me is like, oh, it'd be so much easier to just tell them. But then, but then like easier for who? Like, I think it'd be easier for them because they are probably going to be curious what's going on and it's going to be sort of awkward if I don't say what it is. Um, but well, and that's, you know, easier for you because you don't have to set this boundary. And e- right? right. Easier okay. for me in that I don't have to set a boundary and feel awkward about it. Yeah. But not easier for me because if I do actually tell, you know, everybody at work what's involved. I'm going to be on the receiving end of a lot of like nosy questions, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. judgments, unsolicited advice, <laughs> you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah. so yeah. So anyway, um, it's, it's, it's tricky. So that's kind of where I'm struggling right now. And I was, 
Yeah. Yeah, and this is this is a, an interesting case because it's it's a boundary. It's a boundary about what you will do which is not entirely under necessarily under your control, right? Because mm-hmm. if you say I'm this is this is how much I'm going to tell people at work and your boss says, "Well, I need to know more to you know, authorize your time off," then you have to maybe set a different boundary for your boss. Right. Um which might also include and don't tell anybody else, which then is trying to control her behavior or his behavior, whatever. Right, right. Um, and uh, so it it does it does seem complex. Uh, I, yeah. I so I have two coworkers who seem to have chronic medical issues. Okay, and I say seem to because I know one of them was out for, as far as I was concerned, an unspecified reason for about six months, and then gradually came back. Mm-hmm. And started working like two two days a week and then three days a week and then four days a week. And he still works a day a week from home. And occasionally he's like, I've met, I've, you know, doctor or I, you know, not feeling well today and not feeling well. See, see, this is, and this is where it gets tricky sort of from at least from what's happening in my head. Okay. When one of my coworkers says, I'm not feeling well today. I'm like, Oh, he's got a cold. Mm-hmm. When this guy says, I'm not feeling well today, I'm like, oh, is this like some kind of complications of his unspecified medical problems? Mm-hmm. Okay. But, you know, everybody, as far as I know, I mean, no, as far as I know, everybody respects his privacy boundary. Mm-hmm. You know, that he's not talking about what it is. Yeah. And I assume that, that somebody in the company probably knows why he needed to take six months off because they let him take it off. And that's, you yeah. don't just go in and say, I'm sorry, I need to take six months off. Can I do that? Yeah. And they let you do it without you saying something, right? right. About why. Right. Um, so that sort of helps me to keep my nosiness under control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know that somebody knows and, and, and has judged it legitimate. And there comes my judgmental thing going like, you know, what the hell? Um, mm-hmm. Another coworker has um, a chronic medical issue that that occasionally needs some sort of intervention, uh, and he's very open about it mm-hmm. um, to the extent of uh, for a while when he was he was getting this sort of a I don't know like several day treatment for this thing, um, which involved doing some stuff and then sitting for a while and then doing some stuff and sitting for a while. He would actually call into meetings from like the waiting room at the hospital or wherever, where he was, mm-hmm. um, you know, with all this like gowns and whatever stuff they had put on him to, wow. you know, um, you know, he just like, and he's very open about what's going on and, um, and that works for him. Yeah. And, and I, and I don't see this necessarily as like two two people with different problems and thus they're setting different boundaries around the problems. I see it as two people who have a different sort of emotional reaction to being open about stuff that's going on in their lives, which, you know, could be potentially embarrassing mm-hmm. um, or whatever, but they're, you know, one person's willing to talk about it and the other one's not. Yeah. And so they've set their boundaries what where it's comfortable for them. I guess that's that's where I'm going at. Can right. you get back to the yeah. topic, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, and for me, like, that's something that I've had to sort through with this is, like, what's what's comfortable for me? And and also, I mean, I think kind of a pre-topic before, before you can even really have any boundaries, you have to have a sense that 
whatever's important to you is worth protecting with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so like having that sense of self-worth or that I even have a right to have any boundaries mm. in the first place. Mm. Um, and so that's something that I feel like I've only developed through my time in this program. That's, um, that's a really, that is a really key point. I hadn't thought about that, this notion that, that in order for me to set boundaries, I have to feel worthy of actually having boundaries. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I feel like if this if this whole medical thing had come up pre-program, I would have felt like, wow, I'm just going to have to tell everyone everything and be super exposed. And, like, that's going to suck and there's no other option because I can't have any boundaries. I'm not allowed to have boundaries because they would make other people uncomfortable and I'm not allowed to do that. Hmm. So, so for me, being able to see that I need a boundary, that it's okay for me to have a boundary and to figure out how can I set this boundary and communicate it in a way that will work for me and for people, you know, the people on the receiving end of the boundary is like progress. Like, I feel like the whole thing is, is a sign of my progress in the program that I can even have a, have a boundary at all. Yeah. Being so. able to say, it's none of your business. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is, 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 can be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then like, yeah, it, it, this kind of gets, um, you know, I guess I faced that when, when, uh, my wife was in treatment and I was taking every Wednesday off mm-hmm. for a couple of months to go over to, you know, friends and family day, mm-hmm. the group therapy and all that fun stuff. Um, and I'm, sh- I really don't remember what I know that like my coworkers were, did not know why I was taking every Wednesday off. I, I imagine my boss, I probably told, mm. but I really don't remember now. Oh. Um, because I mean, that whole, that whole time is kind of a little bit foggy. Yeah. <laughs> this is how, you know, your, your mind protects you from pain by, yeah. by letting you forget <laughs> the details mm-hmm. of the pain. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm, I'm sure at that time I didn't have a good notion of boundaries. It was just like, no way am I telling these people what's going on in my life. Um, uh, I know that, I know that my, like my boss's boss knew, I think my boss knew also, I think I, I, I had to tell him, yeah, my wife's going into treatment and then I have to take some time off to, you know, attend programs there or whatever. Yeah. Um, um, which brings me to another uh, question or thought, which is, um, I guess I wanted to talk for a minute about how we communicate our boundaries. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so when I first, um, I think one of my first experiences with boundaries, this was years before I came into the program, but I was um, kind of on the receiving end of a friend's boundaries, and, and my so my friend was it, it had been learning about boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and was sort of starting to put some into play, into practice. And, but I think some of them were like, uh, like being on the receiving end. First, for one, I didn't understand the concept of boundaries. I thought, you know, if you cared about me, you'd do anything possible for me, right? <laughs> and I would have to do the same for you. So that's what caring means is we yeah. have no boundaries. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, I think that's that's a difficulty. I mean, especially when we're trying to draw boundaries with people who are outside the program or just don't have that concept. People can have that kind of reaction, um, but also like the way in which they're communicated. Um, so I remember I was moving to a town where a friend of mine lived, 
And this friend of mine had said, oh, you can stay with me while you're finding a place. And I was like, great, that's awesome. Thanks so much. This is this is great. You know, so I had my plan. going to go to this town. going to stay with my friend while I find a place and get myself set up. So I'm there. Um, been there two days now. And on day two, my friend tells me, I think about three days is about, you know, a good time for you to stay here. Mm. And I was just like, uh, excuse me, what now? I planned this whole move because you said I could stay with you. And now you're drawing this boundary. What's a boundary anyway? And you're drawing this boundary that I can only stay with you three days, but you never told me that. And I'm already here. And that boundary's coming into play tomorrow. And I have nowhere to live. And what am I going to do? You know, and so, I mean, I figured it out. I was able to, like, find a cheap hotel that I could stay in for a little while while I sorted out finding an apartment, whatever. But, but, you know, I look back on that and I think, wow, no wonder I hated boundaries so much. (laughs) Like, I, because that was what I thought they were. That's like, it's a great example of poorly setting a boundary. Yeah. It was not, it was not well set. And, you know, because I think I would have reacted fine if she had told me before the move, hey, you can stay with me for three days. Yeah. That would have been fine. I would have been able to make contingency plans for the, you know, day four and on. But, you know, here it is. I've got one day. I have no place to live. I don't know what's going on. You know, like it was poorly communicated and I found it really hurtful. And so, but I think that's kind of part of the process of learning about boundaries Mm -hmm. is like, you know, when we don't know anything about them, we have to try them out and we're going to kind of do it badly at first. And it's going to be a little awkward and maybe be too harsh or maybe be not harsh enough or, you know, so I think it takes a long time to really be able to get it right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to the point where people, you know, well, and, and you really can't control anyone else's reaction anyway. So, you know, to say to the point where people will accept them, like, no, that's, that's not a good measure of it either. Cause the boundary is not about other people accepting them. It's about, ourselves and what we need and you know but yeah. but doing it in a way that's kind and yeah i well think kind's a good word yeah yeah that's what yeah. i was thinking and uh yeah so being clear yeah in our communication yeah about our boundaries is is also really important and and actually i think can help um potentially help reduce negative response yeah I uh, and if, so. if 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 i'm not communicating a boundary clearly up front, it's probably because I'm fearing a negative response to communicating the boundary. And mm-hmm. as I've said, my, my sort of way of, of working with things that are going to cause me pain is to try to defer the pain as much as possible, even if that means it's going to be more when it happens. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and so not communicating a boundary clearly is puts off the pain today. Mm hmm for potentially more pain tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and it's not fair to the other person. I mean, honestly. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's a learning process and I'm sure some of the boundaries that I've set in the beginning kind of came off that way too. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard, but we just kind of have to muddle through until, you know, the whole fake it till you make it, I guess. Yep. thing, Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, any, any final, uh, Final thoughts on uh, on boundaries. Oh yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I remember at one point, uh, somewhat early ish in my program, not too early, but I remember somebody asking me about boundaries and asking mm-hmm. 
how can I get someone to respect my boundary? And I just remember thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's not a boundary. This is, this is not, this is not how this works. Um, because it's like, you can't, you can't get anyone to respect anything. You know, a boundary is just a boundary. It's, it's, it doesn't, it can't control what anyone else does. It just sets up consequences for when they do that thing that they're probably inevitably going to do anyway. You know, um, maybe I'm being overly cynical there, but you know, a little bit, <laughs> but you know, yeah. So the boundary really, you can't make anyone respect your boundaries. The boundaries there for, you know, for me, the boundary is there for myself so that I know what to do when it's been violated. Yeah. And that's, that's such a hard, <laughs> that's such a hard thing sometimes. Yeah. As our uh, listener asked, how do you handle the anxiety and heartbreak of not knowing if the relationship will be restored? Um, you know, when, if, if I set a boundary and I enforce the boundary and my loved one is really mad about it and, you know, I don't know what, um, you know, in my case, I didn't have to separate and don't have that experience. Um, you know, the experience I had was not knowing if she was going to die, mm-hmm. which is a form of separation that didn't happen. Um, and, and I think the key for me of sort of dealing with the un, undesired response to, um, my setting a boundary and, and enforcing the consequences, um, is, comes from the practice of, one day at a time Mm -hmm. that, you know, this really sucks right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe this really sucks right now. Um, I only have to get through it today. I only have to get through it this hour. Um, and I don't have to, I don't have to do what my mind naturally does, which is to take the current situation and project it indefinitely into the future. And it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they're going to shut off the water and then the electricity and they're going to repossess the house and you're going to have to, you know. Um, live under a bridge, yeah. Live yeah. under a bridge, yeah. yeah. It, for me, it was living in our car, but same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, that that I don't have to live in that future. Um, and this this helped me when, you know, I didn't know what that future was going to be and the only place my mind would take me was that the future was going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, that I could... And this is a little bit away from boundaries, but I'm just trying to sort of give a little bit of an answer to that that question that she asked. Yeah, and then when when we were talking about the, uh, you know, how do you deal with the backlash when you set a boundary? Um, that can be hard. I mean, especially if you're if you're in if it's in a situation where boundaries have historically not been set. There's frequently a lot of backlash, and it's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I just, yeah. I go back to what you said at the beginning about setting small ones. Yeah. Starting with small ones, you know, which is, um, to get the practice of dealing with that, that response when it was maybe less important than, yeah. Than, you know, I, if you keep on drinking, I'm going to leave. Um, if you keep on abusing me, I'm going to leave. Um, yeah. which some people have to set that boundary. Yeah. I am not going, I'm not going to let you do this to me anymore. And if the only way for you to not do it to me anymore is that I have to leave, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Not an easy place to be. 
You, know, yeah. you only had to leave the room or the house. And I only yeah. had to leave the room or the house. And, and you know, yeah. I, I can be grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, also the concept of loving detachment, I think, also plays into how do you deal with someone else's response. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for me, just realizing that, okay, this boundary is something I need and it's not going to sit well with the other person and they're going to, like you know, scream and cry and gnash their teeth. And I just have to sit back and go, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Essentially. I mean, whether I'm saying that out loud or in my head, but in your head head is usually better. Um. (laughs) And, and the other part of loving detachment for me and the part that, that I think really enabled me to, to get through, Mm -hmm. um, to live with the chaos of active, active alcoholism was detaching the person from the disease and understanding that her actions were basically symptoms of the alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that therefore they weren't personally directed at me. Yeah. She wasn't doing this to hurt me. She was doing this because she was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, that helped a lot. And doesn't mean that if I was being abused that I would, put up with it for that reason Mm -hmm. but it it helped me it helped me to not feel it personally Mm -hmm. to understand that that you know it wasn't about me Mm -hmm. (laughs) um didn't mean it didn't hurt but but it wasn't as big a hurt i guess is yeah maybe maybe a way to think about it um not as personal and uh you know, I can love you, but I can't be with you. I mean, is sometimes the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I love you, but I can't be with you the way you're acting right now. And, you know, for me and for you, that meant leave the room. Yeah. Um, and for some people, it doesn't, it means more than that. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Yeah. Um, also, um, I wanted to ask about, um, so we have another question here about, how does a boundary with my own behavior differ from a boundary with someone else's behavior? And I, I put that on there. I'm not sure if that even makes any sense, but, but for me, I feel like, um, and maybe this goes back to, you know, now that I'm not living with active alcoholism, there's a lot less unacceptable behavior from other people, but there's still like my own unacceptable behavior. Mm. And so I try to put, boundaries on oh, myself. Oh, okay. And then, it, yeah, I was like, that question probably wasn't very clear. Um, but so I try to put boundaries on myself and then it doesn't always work. Yeah. And so, you know, and by that, I mean the kind of thing, like I really need to get enough sleep and I have to get up early in the morning. I really, I need to go to bed by this time. Mm-hmm. That's a boundary for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to get to that time and I'm going to still want to finish what I'm doing and do like five other things because there's five other things that are interesting and I want to do them mm-hmm. still. And like, how do I, how do you enforce you know, that how boundary do I, on yourself? Yeah. How do I enforce a boundary on myself? It's because it's me, you know, I can't, if, if I end up blowing past the boundary and just staying up looking up whatever on the internet till, you know, one in the morning, um, well, you do have a consequence. I do have a consequence, which is apparently that not painful enough. Apparently, yeah, I guess, <laughs> or something. I guess something. Although you know, and and also, incidentally, I wanted to um, 
mention, I realized uh, this goes back to the episode on isolation mm -hmm. um, that I think you and Harriet talked about. And, and I found it super helpful that she said something about isolating from ourselves mm -hmm. and like not wanting to face our own yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I, it, it, it wasn't until I heard that, that comment that I was like, Oh, that's what I'm doing when I'm up looking up who knows what, who knows why on the internet till one in the morning. That's what's going on. And I never really put it together. So, um, but still, yeah. I, but I'm still left with this like, needing to put boundaries on myself and not quite sure how to how to do it how do i give myself consequences for myself mm -hmm. maybe you need to ask know. somebody else for help mm, maybe maybe you need to set set some kind of external thing i don't know i you know it's it's a tough one i, I have trouble with it too um, yeah and and everybody i know has trouble with it you know yeah my, my wife has her computer pop up a reminder at like 11 o'clock. Hey, you want to go to bed? Mm. A lot of times she blows right through it, but you know, it's there. It's reminding yeah. her. And, yeah. and I know for me, when I get really involved in something, I might not notice what time it is and I might blow past it just because I'm not noticing. Mm -hmm. And so potentially having that reminder is, is helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have other things that are like boundaries with yourself that you, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Okay. You know, um, so and maybe I, that's not really the right word well, anymore. No, I know what I'm you not mean. sure just, if that's really a just, boundary issue or if that's a, you um, know, I don't I know. Have, I have behaviors that I would like to change, but I haven't expressed, I haven't expressed it in terms of boundary. Okay. And, and so, you know, maybe that's something helpful for me to think about. I mean, I'll come yeah. back in a couple of weeks and say, okay. oh, yeah, I, I decided I should set some boundaries on this thing. Yeah. Okay. okay here's one. For a long time, I was going out for lunch every day. Okay. And you know, that costs some money and we're not, we're not rolling in it. Um, we're comfortable, but, uh, we also, as I'm sure if you're a regular listener, you know uh, that uh, we occasionally end up having to dig into, uh, other resources at the end of the month to finish paying the bills. And that's not, uh, not something we like. And so I'm trying to set a boundary on sort of how many times I go out, for lunch in a week and the rest of the time bring a lunch. Okay. Um, and you know, it's maybe like twice or something and I should bring lunch. I feel like I, I want to try to bring lunch three times a week. Unless of course, like work's paying for it or something. In which case that doesn't count as going out because yeah. it's not my money. Yeah. Um, and, and so how do I enforce that? Well, one thing is I make sure that I have something available for me to bring for lunch. Mm -hmm. That is simple that I can prepare in the morning just before I'm running out the door because that's, the way I roll yeah. and I don't beat myself up if I don't make it. Mm -hmm. um, but I remind myself, this is something that, that I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to um, limit the number of times I went out because I have more money or, or, or have less debt, which I guess is maybe the, the better. Okay. So if you're hearing the little snuffling <laughs> noises, that's my dog. That's not me. <laughs> that's Jake. That's not me for the record. <laughs> He's, he decided that he, he was curious about the microphone and everything, and he was sticking his nose in it. Yep. Okay, I want to roll right into this musical selection that we picked, because I think it really relates to the discussion we were having a minute ago. This is Tracy Chapman, uh, her song, Give Me One Reason, which is, um, it's a song about a person who has set a boundary with 
you know, her loved one, I guess the person she's in a relationship with, that she's not going to stay in the relationship if it's not meeting her needs. And she's expressing it maybe in a sort of negative way, you know, give me one reason to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, You are absolutely not meeting my needs, but just show me one thing and and I'll stick around. Uh, And and apparently, at least the way I hear the song, you know, the, the person is not giving her any reason to stick around. And there's some other stuff in here, too. Says I don't want no one to squeeze me. They might take away my life. And I'm like, wow, that is that is like the definition of a codependent relationship, right? Like, you you hold me, and and I will just I'll go into your life. I've th- I've done that, you know. Don't 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 squeeze me. And and at least that's why I read that line. Okay, um, I just want someone to hold me and rock me through the night. This youthful heart can love you and give you what you need, but I'm too old to go chasing you around, wasting my precious energy. Um, and so she's saying, this is my boundary. You need to do something for me that meets my needs or I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like she's out of there. <laughs> That's what it sounds like <laughs> to me. Like well, we will uh, continue with our lives in recovery in a moment. And you can go listen to Tracy Chapman on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 103. Okay, well, I had a, a relatively uneventful week, which is always a good thing. I uh, I did not make it to my regular Sunday night meeting last week for various reasons that I can't recall at the moment, but I'm sure it had to do with family. And so instead I went to uh, a meeting that I have never been to before on Monday night. But a friend of mine um, actually I think helped start it. It's a step step traditions and concepts meeting, and I walked into the meeting, and I saw somebody I knew sitting at the table who I'd never seen in a meeting before, and it turned out it was their first meeting, and I thought, wow, (laughs) you know, this is this is my higher power at work here, right? To to give this person a a friendly face to see, this is my egoism at work too, but um, (laughs) you know. To not be in a room with a bunch of strangers for their first meeting, um, and 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 they seemed reasonably comfortable with me being there too. You know, I got a smile, not all like, "Oh my God, what are you doing here?" Mm-hmm. And actually, I think I had had I was at a wedding earlier last year sometime, and and was talking to this person about being in being in recovery because of you know the, the alcoholic situation in our family. So it wasn't like they they were totally surprised to see me either. And it just was, a, it was such a neat thing. Like somehow I decided I'm going to go to this meeting and I show up and we're doing a first step with somebody that, um, I know a friend of mine and it was just kind of cool. Like, wow, my higher power got me here. Obviously. Uh, I don't know why else, because like I said, I've never been to that meeting before and I just decided kind of at the last minute to go. Um, and and part one of the reasons also was I was not going to make it to my regular Wednesday night meeting because I had a conflict with that as well. Um, and again, um, at this event I was at on Wednesday, I ran into a friend who has been struggling for a while with some stuff that happened in their life. And we've talked about it a few times when we've just sort of run into each other at various times. At, I remember one time... Um, it was right before New Year's. We we ran into each other. We were both shopping, and and they had to wait for something, and I was I was waiting for something, and so we we started talking. And at the end, uh, 
they were like, wow, well, thanks for that little mini meeting. <laughs> you know? um, so I saw this person and, and again, we were able to, to touch base and, and they had had a really shitty day. And, and, you know, so I hope that me being there to listen might have helped a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's again, that when I leave myself open, um, these things happen that, that bring a little program in where I didn't think I was going to get any that evening. Um, so that was cool. And, uh, yesterday morning, I went to uh, my regular step meeting and we were with step seven and I'm like, eh, step seven. Okay. You know, it's a cool step. I like step seven. And I walked in and again, there's somebody that I know from another meeting who I've never seen in this meeting before. And I hadn't seen for a while. And we were able to sit down and talk about what's going on in our lives for a few minutes before the meeting started. And it was a nice opportunity to sort of catch up on. Actually, we both have um, uh, a, a similar medical issue going on. So we, we were able to sort of trade a little bit about what's going on with each of us with that problem. Um, so a bunch of random encounters, uh, if you want to look at it that way, or um, God-directed, uh, not coincidences, if you want to look at it that way, uh, in my life this week. And, and I'm trying to think about where I've been. Oh, yeah. Oh, so what? Monday? No, Thursday. Thursday, I had my, uh, my boss did my fifth step for me at work. Um, you know, he, he told me uh, all of my character defects and <laughs> yeah, uh, which actually, I mean, I, I exaggerate. Okay. Um, we actually, there was a good thing. And this, this is, this is what came up for me when, when we were talking about step seven, because somebody else earlier had shared about not seeing progress on sort of a, an ongoing basis and having to stop and look back to see the progress that they've made in like being relieved of some of their character defects. And this for me is, is the value of this, you know, annual self-assessment and performance review is that there's been an issue that my boss identified a couple of years ago um, that I needed to work on. And this is in the realm of sort of office interpersonal behavior. And last year it was like, well, it's getting better, but there was still some incidents and some people talked to, had to talk to me and like, okay. And this year, we both agreed that I was meeting expectations in this matter. Uh, and, and I felt really good about that. Uh, and he admits that he sets a high standard, uh, that, that he's, he wants us to meet. Um, you know, it's not like sort of average meets expectation. It's his high standard that I'm meeting the expectations of. And, and so doing that process that I don't like to do, mm-hmm. I, I do it because they make me, um, which is really ironic because I've come to sort of love the inventory process in the program. I just don't like it at work. Okay. Um, it, it's different. It's you versus someone else telling you. Maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe. I don't, right. you know, and I don't necessarily, I mean, I, the boss I've got right now, I, I pretty much trust him to be emotionally safe for me. Mm-hmm. Can't say whether he's emotionally safe for everybody, but he's emotionally safe for me. Um, and the things, when he says something like, this is a problem. He says it in not like uh, an accusatory or downputting way. And, um, and, and I, and, and in such a way that I'm like, yeah, I agree. You know, this is a problem. I see this. Um, maybe I didn't see it as clearly until you said it, but I, I do see it. I can't, I, I don't think he's ever like said something like that, that I was like, no, never. I don't do that at all. 
Um, and maybe that's, you know, sort of my ability to introspect as well. But so it was, it was actually pretty good. And, and we spent most of the time talking about where he wants to see me like growing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, I don't know if he used exactly that word, but, but it was, it was much more about here are places that I would like you to, to go into, to grow to rather than here are things that I want you to fix. So it was really actually pretty good, but I think I really feel like having having the program experience of inventory and the the non judgmental fifth step that I have done um, a couple of times, or that I have also having the experience of receiving a fifth step um, several uh, is helps me to go into that with much less sort of dread of anticipation of what what the hell's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. I like to make jokes about it, but actually it's, it's been a pretty good experience the last few years. Um, as opposed to when I had the psychopath boss, but we won't go there <laughs> because I wasn't in program then either. So <laughs> it was, it was, it was two neurotic people talking to each other. It was not a, not a happy situation. So yeah. So there's my week. How about yours? Um, well, let's see. I, I missed my regular Sunday meeting. I, had some stuff that was sort of on a deadline that I was trying to figure out. And I realized, you know, I want to go to this, but I really probably should work on this other thing instead. Um, so I did that. Um, Wednesday I went to a meeting and there was a really good lead. Um, somebody talked about, um, I think essentially step, step one and, uh, powerlessness and the patterns of patterns of family behavior and how he realized that his, Issues with um, his his mother as his uh, qualifier, like a lot of a lot of those patterns kind of repeated themselves in his marriage, mm. and just kind of realizing you know that that sort of thing, and it, it brought out a lot of good discussion. It was a good mm-hmm. lead. Um, so I was sorry, glad I, I missed made it. it to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I made it to that. Um, let's see. So the other big thing that has been going on with me this week is I've been kind of realizing that I, um, so I've talked in this program before about having some issues regarding infertility and dealing, dealing with some of that stuff. So, so for a while we've been kind of on the verge of like, well, do we need to do this big crazy next step as far as that goes? Or should we skip that? I, what should we do? I don't know. This is all really crazy and overwhelming. Do we do it? Do we not do it? I don't know. And we had set up certain things like, well, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see if things work out. And if, if things don't work out by X date, then, then we're just going to go ahead and big, do the big crazy thing. So anyway, that date came around this week. So I was like, <laughs> all right, we're doing the big crazy thing. It's scary. It's overwhelming. But, you know, we did spend a lot of time figuring out, do we want to do this or not? And mm-hmm. we weighed mm-hmm. all the things and it's like, mm-hmm. all right, it's time to just do it. So, so we're doing it. It's, um, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, there's a lot of things that need doing, um, that, you know, sorting out, uh, sorting out details of medical stuff mm-hmm. and sorting out, you know, all kinds of details related to it. Um, so there's a lot, a lot to do. There's been, um, I mean, that's, that's sort of the issue that I was talking about earlier as far as the, um, what to do at work? What to do at work situation? Yeah, because yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like it's it's one thing to talk about it in in Al-Anon because it's 
it's like inherently, I think, a supportive group. Um, people are supportive. People, I think, try extra hard to be non-judgmental and not gossip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those, and it's, and it's a place where it's okay to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, work does not have those qualities for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's not okay to be vulnerable. People are likely to judge and gossip. And so it just doesn't feel safe in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's been part of my week is trying to figure out what the heck am I going to say about needing to be gone? Um, how do I maintain yeah. that boundary and maintain my privacy? Um, you know, so, you know, but I've been really relying on my program a lot with, with this in, in assorted ways. Like, you know, for one, in a way, realizing that like, all right, we're going ahead with this thing. It's in a way kind of makes it easier to just stay in the moment. Cause when I was thinking about, should we do it? Should we not do right, it? There right. was a then lot you're of, always in the future. Yeah. You're always in the future. You know, sometimes, projecting myself in the future looking back at the past you know so i got got all confused oh, wow. uh, yeah <laughs> like many different levels of not being in the moment you know so so anyway now that we're now that we're doing this thing it's like well just do the thing just be in the moment what do i have to do today okay i do this thing i do that thing that's it um so so that makes it easier to deal with um just being in the moment <laughs> so just getting overwhelmed with my list of things to do um i've been trying to deal with deal with that and so so yesterday i was like all right it's saturday i've got all day i've got a giant list of things to do i can do this but you know i didn't really prioritize and i just had this giant list and and somehow you know i'm not time management is not my strong suit so you know like the day just kind of went by it just zoomed past and i thought i was going to get everything done and i got you know a couple of things not quite done and it was just frustrating and, and I ended up kind of hiding from the world in the internet till, you know, too late again. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized, you know, I, I just need to, yeah, I kind of got up today. I was sort of rethinking all of that and how to, how to go about it better, differently and realizing that like, you know, I had sort of had this idea of like, oh, I've got this giant list of things to do. If I can get all kind, if I can, the more I can get done now, the less stress I'll have later, which kind of made sense. But then I tried to do it all at once and it was unrealistic. So it's like, no, that just creates more stress. Mm. So I think what I need to do is like label my giant list of things to do as not like the list of things to do today, but like the list of things to do maybe over the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it becomes a lot more reasonable and manageable and I can pick out, okay, what are the things on this list that I can actually do today? And then the other ones, I know they're there and they will get done, just not right now. And I don't have to freak out about them. Um, so, so yeah, just, just prioritizing, you know, so yeah, relying on things like first things first. You know, let's make sure there's food to eat and then mm-hmm. we'll deal with the rest, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and also I kind of realized I have, this seems kind of counterintuitive as far as like where it belongs on the priority list. But I realized that, you know, when the kitchen is not clean and the dishes aren't done, it makes me crazy. It makes mm-hmm. me insane. And like my mind just gets frazzled so easily and. But yet, I feel like, oh, I've got all these big, important things to do. I can't worry about dishes right now. i got to do the important things. But then when I leave the dishes, it makes me insane. And then I have to hide from the insanity on the internet till one in the morning. <laughs> you know, and then that makes me more insane. And it leaves me with even less time. 
So I was like, you know what? I need to prioritize my serenity. And Mm -hmm. the dishes are a part of that. Like, Mm -hmm. that really helps. And so even though it doesn't seem like the most important thing, it kind of is. And so I, you know, kind of did that thing first today. I was like, yeah, I'm going to just do that. And then I felt like I can look at the counters and they're clean and there's space to put things down. And, you know, and it just, it's so much better. So... Anyway, that, that's a great that's a great observation to yeah. you know identify the things that contribute to your serenity and make sure you do them. Yeah, I remember somebody I think it might have been Tweta actually saying something at one point about um, trying to like prioritize your serenity at all times. Yeah, and I I remember hearing that concept and thinking at all times what like that's a <laughs> lot of times like that's that's but I mean what if you've got something important going on like what you know. So it's like, it was kind of revolutionary to me, the idea of, you know, putting your serenity at the top of the list. Um, yeah. yeah, it seems really wild. And it's like, wow, if I actually thought that was most important, I would do things a totally different way. And, um, mm. you know, maybe I need to try that way out. I, I'm thinking <laughs> that might really help me. Because the more serene I am, the more I can deal with whatever life throws at me. And then the more I can actually do on my list of things to do, you know, and I will feel much less stressed doing through the whole process. And the whole point of getting all these things done was to like not feel stressed about it. So, you know, yeah. Anyway, so assorted little, you know, light bulbs going off Yeah. in that, that kind of a way. So, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I guess that pretty much covers my week. Great. So, uh, looking forward of uh, upcoming topics that uh, might include uh, judgment and caretaking, both of which sound kind of scary. So, that'll be fun. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or questions. And, uh, Maria, how can people send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of boundaries or any of our upcoming topics judgment or caretaking if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about let us know spencer where can our listeners find out more about the recovery show hey that would be at the website which is therecoveryshow.com where you can find all the information about the show including notes for each episode an occasional blog links to the music we talk about links to other recovery podcasts and websites and uh, there's a lot of ways to join the conversation Uh, one of the ones i've been encouraging lately is to join me to record a full episode of of the recovery show or if you're not quite up for that but you want more than a minute and a half or three minutes that you can leave the voicemail uh, we can have a a conversation about a topic and then uh, it can be part of a show so if you're really if you're interested in that email feedback at the recovery show.com and i want to thank the people who have done that and um, i'm trying to keep you all like in mind but as Maria says time management is not one of her great skills and being organized about this sort of thing is not one of my great skills. So um, give me a poke if you haven't heard from me in a while because I probably just fell off the bottom of my attention list. Um, yeah, sorry about that. One of my character defects, trying to deal with it. 
And uh, uh, Maria, uh, we've got a uh, a song, and we're going to take a little break before we dive into the mail. What do you got? Yeah. Okay. So our second musical selection, which is available on the website, uh, is "Out of Range" by Ani DeFranco. Um, so this song, it's kind of a song about a woman who's facing unacceptable behavior, who is um, drawing a boundary with it. Um, so some of the lyrics are. And I try to draw the line, but it ends up running down the middle of me most of the time. Um, and I, I just really like that. Um, I, <laughs> so true. It's so true. And, and I feel like it really sums out how hard boundaries are. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's, it's so hard, especially when you haven't had them and you're just kind of starting out, starting to learn how to do it. It feels, you know, to me, it felt really, selfish and harsh and not nice you know i thought boundaries were not very nice Mm. um but you know it it, i had to it was kind of a process and so um of me coming around to realizing that actually it is sort of nicer in a way to just be open about where you bond where you know where my boundaries are rather than pretending everything's fine pretending it's fine pretending it's fine and then blowing up at you because it's not fine like you know like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that kind of thing so it's mm-hmm. like you know in a way being up front and being like look i need x and if you're gonna do this other thing then you know this my consequence is gonna be is gonna be why mm-hmm. so so yeah but but a lot of the time it does it does feel like the the line is running down the middle of me because you know there's that part of me that's codependent that wants you to be comfortable and like that is, you know, that line is getting drawn and it's cutting off those parts of me. And yeah, so it's, yeah. it's hard. Um, anyway, some more, some more of the lyrics from the song are, I was locked into being my mother's daughter. I was just eating bread and water, thinking nothing ever changes. And I was shocked to see the mistakes of each generation will just fade like a radio station if you drive out of range. Um, and I, I just like those lyrics too. Um, this, this concept of, Eating, just eating bread and water, it, it makes me think of, um, just living on this survival based kind mm-hmm. of mode. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need mm-hmm. anything. I can just, you know, I'll just, I won't die if I don't have, you know, X or Y nice thing that is healthy or, or whatever. It's, yeah, I mean, I guess in this program, I've been learning how to go from, you know, judging everything from a survival based perspective to uh you know not just how can i barely get by while not killing myself you know but mm-hmm. like survival kind of thing but how mm-hmm. can i actually thrive and be healthy mm-hmm. and have a good satisfying life and prioritize your serenity and prioritize my serenity thanks Spencer. i already forgot see <laughs> <laughs> this is why we need other people in our program because i i forget instantaneously <laughs> it was just me um so yeah, I like this part about the eating bread and water because it just I could really relate to that. Um and that that whole bit kind of makes me Yeah, it, it it just makes me think of the program going from not realizing you have any options to realizing there are other ways of doing it and it's kind of shocking to see that, you know, those generational ways of being don't have to be and you can just leave. You can just you can just drive out of range. And yeah, yeah so it's kind of yeah, that, the, that liberating part of the program that, you know, for me, when I realize that I have choices. So, anyway, that is the song, and you can go listen to it on the website. Thanks. We got some email this week. No voicemails. 
Um, a friend wrote, Well, my friend, even though my friend is half a world away, I feel like a relapse is happening or may happen soon based on things she has said or not said. Even though I'm healthier, I'm feeling the need to undergird myself with program ASAP. So your relapse episode is playing now. Sigh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm trying to remember what number. i I got to remember to look these things up before I read these emails. Uh, but there were a couple episodes on relapse somewhere in the 70s, 78, 79. I don't know exactly. Um, if, uh, if you're fearing or suffering with a loved one who is relapsing, um, they might help you too. Uh, you want to read Lisa's mail? Sure. Lisa writes, Spencer, 102 was a great episode. I could relate to everything you and Akila were discussing. I'm currently working on my control issues. I never thought they were an issue until I found Elena. Oh, wow, I can relate to that. Sorry, this is Maria <laughs> inserting my own voice into the middle here. Yeah, I remember going to my first meeting and thinking, control issues? Huh, that's kind of funny. I'm sort of controlling, too. Huh, oh, no. You know, that was before I realized there were patterns and that I was part of them. Okay, anyway, back to back to Lisa's email. So, Lisa's writing... I never thought they were an issue until I found Al-Anon. I thought I just knew how to do everything, and I was going to teach everyone. <laughs> just like Akila, I find myself caring more than anyone else. I am slowly working on not caring and remembering. It's not my problem. Mind my own business. Thanks for another great show. I look forward to next week's. And she gives us a little smiley face. Thanks, Lisa. And I'm just going to unpack that a little bit because um, I actually was just listening to that episode in the car um, yesterday, today. And what Akila was talking about as a teacher, she can't care more about her students' progress than her students do mm. about their own progress. Mm. Because if she does, then she tries to take their work on for herself. And she that's not good for, for her or the student. Yeah. Um, so that's what she means about not caring. It's not okay. not caring. It's about not, it's, not caring more about what somebody else does than that person cares about it themselves. Yeah. Sounds like loving detachment. Loving detachment. Hey, maybe it is. Um, yeah. Oh, control issues. No, I never had any control issues. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear about my control issues? Go listen to episode 102. Um, I'm sure that they're in there. So uh, Jeff wrote, uh, Hi, Spencer. Listening to podcast episode 44. Uh, the one we were just talking about, Boundaries Without Controlling. Oh, hey. Yeah. My ex abandoned the family in Chicago alone with six kids when she lost custody due to drugs and alcohol. She gave my 12-year-old TCH, I'm not sure what TCH is, but I'm sure it's not good, a few times, and CPS, Child Protective Services, right? Yeah. Gave me custody. That was four years ago. I'm remarried and in Houston now. Life is so much better, but the kids and I still struggle quite a bit. Would be happy to tell you how I've worked with my kids. My oldest is now a senior in high school and my youngest is 10. Thanks for the show. It helps keep me going. Jeff. And I wrote back to Jeff and, and said, so when you say, uh, I'd be happy to tell you, does that mean like you'd like to do a show about it? Uh, an episode of, of the podcast about it? And I haven't heard back from him, but I'm hoping that's what he meant because that is an awesome topic and one that I, um, you know, I get, we get email from listeners as I'm sure you've heard, uh, saying, how my kids, I don't know how to deal with my kids who are living in this alcoholic situation. I don't know what to tell them. I don't know how to help them. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, we're not going to have all the answers, but maybe we can share some experience, strength and hope around that. And that's quite a nice uh, age range too. Uh, so we got a letter from Suzanne. You want to read that? Yeah. Okay. Suzanne writes, I received my two year coin in Al-Anon in December. So I am fairly new to the, in the program. 
Around last October, I discovered the Al-Anon and Recovery Show podcast. You have saved my life. Working two jobs, I often work seven days a week, so I cannot attend multiple weekly meetings as I have done in the past. However, I am often working in a room alone, so it is easy to listen to a podcast which has really kept me on program. I often share my Friday night home group, and when that occurs, I use the recovery show as one of my resources to prepare for the meeting. This Friday, I am chairing on Tradition 1, so I've listened to episode 57, face-to-face meetings, episode 55, which is Tradition 1, and episode 49, Getting Started in Al-Anon. Do you think that type A personalities are a requirement for joining the program? LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, I have especially enjoyed Wendy's sharing of the gentleness and kindness of this program. I appreciate how she has shared examples of take what you like and leave the rest. I have created a flyer for my home group slash district about these podcasts. Oh, cool. Um, my service work is in being the tech support for my group slash district about podcasting. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I am a lifetime grateful member of Al-Anon. Blessings to you, Suzanne. Wow. Thank you, Suzanne. And uh, wow. A flyer about the podcast. Yeah, that is, that is really cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think when you say these podcasts and, and the Al-Anon podcast, I think she may be referring to the um, there's actually two series of podcasts from Al-Anon itself. There was one that I think only went for about a year. They did a step every month. And then there's another one that has infrequent postings, but um, shows up and I have links. Uh, as far as I recall, I have links to both of those on the website um, on the right hand rail where there's links to podcasts and websites that we like. Um, so if you haven't listened to them, uh, go check them out uh, because I find them helpful as well. And, Several of these letters talked about specific episodes. I will put links to those episodes directly in the notes for this episode. Or if you want to go straight there, you can go to the recovery show.com slash whatever the episode number is. So like episode 57, you go to the recovery show.com slash 57. If you don't want to remember that, you just like, Oh, there was some episode about face to face meetings. And I thought that sounded interesting. There will be a link in, in the notes for this episode which again is slash 103, or you just go to therecoveryshow.com. It'll be the one that's right there if you're listening to this, you know, shortly after we record it. And I'm doing hand motions that you can't see. <laughs> so I just realized that. Um, off top. They're entertaining me, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. don't know that it helps our, our listeners. Doesn't help the people who just got the earbuds in. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And, uh, I wanted to say it it doesn't cost you anything to to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses. They run about $60 a month and you can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear by uh, making a donation like Anthony did. And thank you, Anthony. There's a donation button on the website where you can support us directly. Um, We've also put together a list of recovery related books and you can click on the books link at the top of any of the pages on the website And if you order one of these books from Amazon, we receive a small commission. And in fact, if you order anything from Amazon after clicking on the Amazon link, we'll get a little commission on that and it helps. Um, so I want to thank people who've, who've done their shopping through the website. Uh, you are appreciated, even though I don't know who you are. So I can't thank you directly. The last song selection is a song I actually found today as I was looking for, for songs related to boundaries. Um, and it's called Boundaries and it's by AM. Uh, which I guess is a group name, like AM Radio, AM. And you can listen to this at therecoveryshow.com slash 103. The part that 
sort of struck me as a slightly different view of boundaries. Um, it says, is it safe to remove our boundary? Will the road be built for two? Would I be lonely? Is this an historic story? Together, our body's blue, or will you own me? And it's sort of like, this is a different kind of a boundary that maybe this person has put up a boundary to protect themselves from getting too emotionally tied up with somebody else and is thinking about whether it's safe to take that boundary down and actually engage in a relationship and, and expressing some of the fears about what would happen if, if he took that boundary down. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you're facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Bye.